God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome to today's episode of Family Discussion. We're so glad that you are here with us today. My name is Marcos Ortega. I am one of your hosts. And as always, I am joined by the incomparable Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I've had some projects in the work that I'm finally coming toward the end of. And so I'm, I'm taking a bit of a deep breath. It has been uh, a busy couple of weeks, but... Uh, light is at the end of the tunnel, so praise God for that. It's, it's, you know, anybody who's had a long project that they've been working on and the light is at the end yes. of the tunnel feels good. So that's where I'm at today. Feeling good, a little tired, but good. How are you? Awesome. Um, you know, I'm doing well. I've been having some back issues. Not sure what's going on. Could be the sciatica nerve, but mm. I'm trying to make an appointment so I can uh, move around um, with ease. I haven't been able to do that uh, so well lately, so... Hopefully that will uh, that will clear up soon. Yeah, you know, um, there are certain things that I am not looking forward to, and that is when I have to go in and start getting like joints looked at, backs looked at, stuff like that. Oh and that's yeah, coming. let me tell you, it's coming for I, me. It's yeah, you know, the uh, fall is real. They, I'm in my mid fifties, and you know the the bones and muscles. They just reach a point. They're like, "Look, look at here. We're we're not doing this anymore." You know, they, <laughs> things just don't bounce. They just don't bounce back like they used to. I don't know. It's, you know, it's like, well, come on, man, give me a break. <laughs> so, uh, did you guys get hit by this weird, like, flu-like thing that's been going around? Because we we dodged it until this week. We didn't get the flu, but we're starting to get the seasonal change, like cold type thing. Yeah, no, I haven't. But of course, and just so you know, and our listeners know, I and I hope, you know, everyone's praying for the situation in China with the coronavirus. It seems very remote and very far away. But for some of us, it's a lot closer. My daughter and my son-in-law live in China. They are teachers. They moved there in this past summer with a two-year contract. They live in the Suzhou region, uh, province. That's uh, just outside of Shanghai. So it's not where the infected area is, but of course the whole country is, um, you know, just feeling the the effects of, you know, all of the adjustments that have to that had to have been made. Um, so they're there, and obviously that's a concern on my mind. Um, you know, I'm praying for that. You know, that this thing will. Uh, be contained real soon. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be praying uh, with you for your family and, you. Um, you know, praying for their work there. Two years in China is going to be hopefully a really good time for the for them and their family. So we'll be praying for you. Um, Thank you. Now, we are diving into an issue today um, 
that is very charged, that has a lot of different opinions around it. And so we enter into this with fear and trepidation, um, knowing that there are going to be people who may not like some of the things that they hear. Um, but we're going to do our best to be biblical, to be confessional, to be careful in how we talk about this issue. We're going to get into the issue today of abortion and um, all the life issues that are around abortion. And this is continuing something we've been doing for a while. Um, this whole season is dedicated to talking about political issues, and especially political issues where there is major disagreement. Um, and we we talked, we, we each have given kind of our paradigm for how we approach politics. Last week, we spent some time talking about religious liberty, why that's important, why that issue um, can can be very important, especially to those who lean in a conservative direction politically. And, and another issue that is very important to conservatives is the issue of abortion. When Christians are ranked, and, and let's just get rid of the conservative liberal language real quick, when, when Christians rank their issues, overwhelmingly abortion is at the top. Um, this is maybe the most important issue for Christians in the United States. Um, and and I, I want to say up front that this is not an issue where you and I have a disagreement. Um, we are both pro-life. We uh, both abhor abortion and are, are praying for and working towards, in, in various ways, the end of abortion in the United States. So this is not an issue where we disagree. Um, maybe we should have tried to find a pro-choice Christian to come and join us, but but rather, I think this is a conversation that we want to have um, because even though we agree on the issue, we don't vote the same way very often. And so this is going to maybe um, challenge some of people's paradigms of what it means to be pro-life, of what it means to be anti-abortion, of what the different issues are around abortion. Um, and we're actually going to probably spend two episodes on this. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to hopefully have an interview next week that will take us a little bit deeper and and get a little more practical. How do churches work through these issues and how can we be um, more equipped and do better in fighting back against the abortion epidemic that's happening? Um, but Lisa, I wonder if you could um, share a little bit your perspective on on abortion, on abortion rights, on issues of life, and especially how they kind of factor into the way you approach the political spheres. Okay. And one thing I want to clarify for our listeners, because this is something that I think comes up with respect to the focus on abortion. Um, and particularly from the conservative camp. So in other words, it's when you look at all of the issues that involve life, there almost seems to be this criticism that, you know, conservative Christians have made abortion sort of the end all and be all. Um, And I want to, you know, I kind of want to put that in the framework of where we are. Um, with respect to this issue, I do think that, yes, it is um, a very prominent issue and for reasons that we'll, we'll go into when we talk about issues of life. Um, but it's not it's not like, well, the, the moral majority made this, you know, a politicized abortion. And so now this is one of the linchpins of what it means to be a conservative at the heart of it is, you know, when we go back, we talked about, you know, what are the biblical values that we look at from Scripture? And it has to do with 
God's morality, God's ethic that we find in scripture. Um, and in my opinion, there, so there are a couple of things that have been going on with this issue. One is from 19, from the time that Roe Ro v. Wade was, um, you know, was go, uh, you know, put into mate, you know, mate law, um, or resulted in abortion being legal, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that since that time, there's been a learning curve. There's been a lot of education about what you know, what what happens during the abortion process, what happens to the baby. Um, and so, one, we're getting better educated, and two, when, and I think that this is even more prominent, is that we see in society an increased denigration of life and particularly life of the unborn so 10 years ago the way that that abortion was talked about 10 years ago was is different than the way it's talked about today and so there seems to be this ramping up um this assault uh against innocent life and i think that that really factors in to this this very strong focus on abortion. And so with that, and, and what it com- does come down to is an issue of life. It's about preserving life. It's the fact that God made, you know, God is the giver of life and we are not to be takers of life. And I think what might be helpful for our listeners, uh, especially you and I being confessional, uh, reform and we look at the Westminster Larger Catechism, right? So we can look at the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Well, what exactly does that mean? And one thing I love about what the Westminster Larger Catechism does, and especially in light of how Jesus expounds on the Decalogue, right? That it's not just, okay, it's not just the outward, but what's going on in the inward Right, as the, well. The What's going on in your thoughts and intentions? Um, and so the Westminster Larger Catechism takes all of that into consideration um, and, you know, and really kind of amplifies, you know, what, what do these commandments really mean? So I thought it might be helpful um, if, you know, you could probably give a brief explanation of, you know, of, of what it is and, and what it says, because I think parts of this are really important in terms of how we view issues of life. Yeah, so so I think it's helpful for people to know, especially if you're not familiar with the Westminster Larger Catechism. Um, if you're not familiar, that's okay. I encourage you to get familiar. You don't have to be a Presbyterian, but read the read the document. I think it's a helpful document. I think that it is, um, I mean, obviously uh, I'm a confessional Presbyterian, so I believe that this is a um, a good summary of the Christian faith, and and I, I commend it to all of our listeners. The larger catechism is set up as question and answers, and we get to the, um, we go through a bunch of theological things, and then it gets to the moral law. What are we as Christians supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? How are we supposed to live as Christians? And I think that's a pretty important question. And so the way the larger catechism frames this is against the backdrop of the Ten Commandments, and it asks two questions of each commandment. Well, three, really. What is the commandment? But then it asks, what does that commandment then require, and what does that commandment forbid? And we've talked about this a little bit before, because this is where 
for Presbyterians, we go back to our confessional documents to try and help us answer the question, what does it mean, thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not murder? What, what exactly does that mean? What are the lines? Um, is all taking of life always wrong, no matter what? Is there areas of gray? Um, when is it? When are we supposed to be taking life? Like these are questions that we ask regularly. The confession and the catechisms are here to try and help us with that. And so um, I'm not going to read these; are full paragraphs. But just to give you an idea of some of the things that are included in here, you know, what does it require? Well, obviously, it requires um, that we do our best to make every lawful effort to preserve our life and the lives of others. That's pretty important. We make every lawful effort to preserve our own life and the lives of others. Um, But it goes all the way from that to our speech and behavior should be peaceful, mild, and courteous. Hey, social media world, our speech (laughs) should be peaceful, mild, and courteous. Um, It is not just breaking of the ninth commandment, but a breaking of the sixth commandment to slander your brother and sister um, just that's a quick aside. What is the sixth commandment forbid? That's the next question. Mm-hmm. Before you go, oh, before, yeah, you go, go before you get into forbidding, because there's another component here that I think is going to come yeah. up in the conversation in terms of requirement. Also, comforting and securing. Yeah. You got to love these, like, you know, uh, 17th century. So here's, the, here's one difference for securing some folks. Securing the distressed and protecting and defending the innocent. the innocent. Amen. So so y'all in the PCA have the old language. In the EPC, we modernize this language a little okay, bit. What is, makes what is things, your modern version? Uh, we sh- it's, it's much, we should provide aid and comfort to those in distress as well as protect and defend the innocent because nobody uses the word sucker anymore. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of tripped up over it myself. <laughs> oh, man. But um, provide aid and comfort to those in distress as well as protect and defend the innocent. Um, and when we when we apply that to an issue like abortion, um, we are not thinking innocent in, in like the theological term of total depravity, right? Nobody stands before God sinless, but there are those who are not bringing death upon themselves, and we are to protect them. And if we believe that these are children in the womb, and both you and I do, then yes. we are called to protect the innocent. And um, so that's an important part of this in. in we're going to have to get into this. Provide aid and comfort to those in distress means that to be pro-life does not just mean being anti-abortion. To be pro-life, we're going to have to broaden that out if we're going to be true to the confession. Um, and that's and that's key. And then there's things that we forbid. We forbid taking our own or anyone else's life um, except in the pursuit of public justice. And this is where we find a couple of these exceptions of when it is lawful to take life. Um, but then... Where it forbids speaking in a provocative way. <laughs> oh, that hurts. Um, it, prov- it, it forbids oppressing. And so when people talk about oppression as something that is, um, you know, you use oppression categories as inherently Marxist. No, in, in the confession, in the catechism, it says that the Sixth Commandment forbids oppressing others. Um, it... it forbids anything else conducive to the destruction of anyone's life. Mm-hmm. The writers of the catechism are trying to be as broad as possible, saying, listen, we are a people of life because we serve the God of life, and therefore we are to be pro-life in everything. Yes, anti-abortion, 
But now we've got to broaden this out. What does it mean to be a people of life? And that's why the, the catechisms are helpful for showing us we can't become legalists and letter of the law people. We have to, what is the spirit of the law? Thou shalt not kill also includes thou shalt promote life. And we have to get into all now of that when it comes to thinking about political issues. Right. Right, exactly. Um, and so, you know, it's obvious from my perspective in terms of, you know, why, you know, why I would tend to vote Republican, right? Because this is a, I don't think there's, I, maybe there's a small percentage of pro-choice Republicans, um, but that's generally not spoken of in, you know, in that political paradigm. So I think it's a lot easier for me to say, oh, yes, I, you know, my vote goes towards a party that looks to preserve life in terms of defending the unborn. So here's a question that I think because you are on the opposite side of the political fence, um, and I know that this is a question that comes up with respect to Christians who do lean left, who do, you know, who would vote Democrat. So tell, tell us, how, how do you reconcile the fact that the Democratic Party, especially where they are now, um, there, it, there is just an, an increase of, um, pro, and I would say pro choice. It goes to me more than pro choice. It's actually pro abortion. Um, there's very little room for, um, you know, for pro life. In fact, I, I think Bernie Sanders, um, has recently said there's, there's no way you can be pro life. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but you could be pro life and pro Democrat. So, so how do you, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, and and I think providing a little bit of the backdrop here is key. There has been a shift in the party, um, and this is you know even when we think about the way that President Obama spoke about the issue of abortion, he used the same language that Democrats have been using for a long time: legal, safe, and rare. The idea is we want to decrease the number of abortions in this country. We don't think, and I'm speaking we in the Democrat sense, not necessarily me, mm -hmm. all right, but okay. um, the Democrats' argument was it was not about outlawing abortion because if you outlaw abortion, then um, the argument was women will still try and go get abortions, but now they'll do it in an unsafe way, and now not only is the, the life in the mother being terminated, but the mother may die trying to get an unsafe abortion. This was a lot of the argument, right? Therefore, we need to keep it legal, but we need to make and we need to make sure it's safe, but we want to make it rare. We want to do everything in our power to make sure that women don't need abortions. Um, so that was where the the argument was. Now I, I I personally struggle with that a little bit because I'm not sure that um, abortion should be legal at all. Um, I'm, I'm not I'm not there with the Democratic Party. But it was much easier for me to say, okay, but I'm with you on wanting to drop the number of abortions. That's the goal here anyway. So let's work together on other policy issues that are going to lessen abortion. Um, we especially saw the shift, I think, during Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mm -hmm. She did not use that language of legal, safe, and rare. Um, she just she, the Rare got dropped 
it was just legal and safe. Um, and and what happened, especially during um, uh, Secretary Clinton's campaign, is that the party moved a lot further left on this issue. And those of us who were pro-life but felt comfortable in the Democratic Party because we at least had the same goal of reducing the number of abortions began feeling less and less comfortable. Um, now, here's, here's the thing. Abortion is, is an important issue to pro-life Democrats, but we disagree with the Republican Party on a whole host of other issues, particularly issues that have to do with what we read in the, in the catechism, providing aid and comfort to those in distress and um, making sure that we're doing that we forbid anything conduct conducive to the destruction of anyone's life, right? So we we felt that, and we feel, I still feel that many of the policies of the Democratic Party provide aid and comfort, and they get in the way of the destruction of life. Except on this one issue, this issue, the Democratic Party has moved hard left. Now there is still a moderate wing of the Democratic Party. And, and there have been a couple of um, candidates in this uh, election cycle. For example, Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard, um, who is still using the language of legal, safe, and rare. Um, Senator Klobuchar was um, asked recently, you know, is there, this is on the back of Bernie Sanders' comments that there's really no room for pro-life Democrats. She was asked the same question, is there room for pro-life Democrats? And Klobuchar said, yes, absolutely there is. Um, that we need to to have a party that is inclusive of those who are pro-life. Um, the problem is, at least right now when we're recording, the front runner is saying there's no room for pro-life Democrats, mm-hmm. and and that that makes us feel a particular way. It makes it it, it is difficult. Uh, people need to hear this. It is difficult to be a Democrat and pro-life, especially right now, because yeah. the loudest voices are saying we're not welcome. But I'll be honest, I'm kind of used to being unwelcome in the Democratic Party. Um, the reason I stay is, one, there are millions of pro-life Democrats, and people don't know that. There are millions of pro-life Democrats. Democrats for Life is a uh, – there's a Facebook page that you can follow. Um, there are events that happen around the country. There are a lot of pro-life Democrats. There's there's small groups like Feminists for Life um, you know, there, there are, there are far left, even politically far left groups that are pro-life, they're anti-abortion. Um, and so it is becoming harder. There are times where I wonder, can I vote for a Democrat in this election cycle? Uh, I was unable to vote for Hillary Clinton and abortion was one of the reasons. Um, now I, I, I did not vote for president Trump. I voted third party. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's this time I. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'll be honest, I, I don't know what I'm going to do this time through. Um, and when we get to talking more about some of the, not just the character, but some of the specific issues around life, it, 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 it is impossible for me to vote for president Trump. I will not be able to do that. Um, will I do what many Republicans did hold my nose and vote for the democratic nominee? I might, there's a good chance I will, but I don't know. Um, we'll have to cross that bridge. There's a couple there are a couple nominees. I'm. It's going to be hard for me to vote for them, um, and we'll have to see. But I am. I am voting. I'm voting for a candidate, either way, that I know violates my conscience on the issue of life. Um, and here's where it is. 
I, as much as I talked about this before, as much as Republicans talk about being pro-life, I don't see action on the national level. And so either there is vocally pro-choice in the Democrats or silently pro-choice with the Republicans. Until I see action from the Republican Party on this issue, I don't know how I can weigh abortion when it comes to my vote. Well, you know, I, I was listening to Senator Ben Sass, uh, a Republican out of Nebraska, I believe, um, and, you know, promoting this uh, Born Alive bill, which, you know, preserves the life of the baby who, um, you know, we, uh, survives a, bo a botched abortion. And again, it's a testament to where we are. Like, you know, I'm listening to his speech thinking, why do we even need this? I mean, this should be, this, this is a no-brainer. This should be obvious. Of course, you're going to work to preserve the life. But the fact that we have to introduce legislation to preserve life, to me, is just very troubling. I, I totally agree. And, and it is um, shocking to me that we're here. So I, uh, listeners may know, I live in New York State. Um, and, and here in New York, we passed, uh, I guess it was just last year, uh, one of the most radical pro-choice bills um, on on record. Um, it's, it's a horrifying bill. And if people want to know my response to it, I wrote an article in response to the passing of the bill. So it's 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 publicly out there. I publicly condemned the bill. So um, and some of the things that are really concerning in this bill is it strips away civil rights from a child that is born um, in through an, a botched abortion. And, and it really becomes a question. You, you've just declared this is not a human person. Um, they're breathing air right now, and you're saying this is not a human person. It's horrifying, Bill. Um, and so there are some massive problems in the Democratic Party, and the, the radical pro-choice wing, the radical pro-abortion wing has way too loud of a voice. Um, the problem is... When I look at the pro-life wing, I don't see movement. I don't see people who are doing anything that is that, that is really helping matters on the abortion issue. Yeah, you have the you have the born alive bill, right? Mm -hmm. But but I have a serious question. Um, why could not Republicans get that kind of a bill passed when they were in power? What, what how is it that we don't have a twenty week ban yet? We've had Republican Congresses that are right alongside a Republican president. I, other states have managed to pull this off in their states, and they've got 20-week bans. they got heartbeat bills getting passed in some of these states. I'd love to see a national heartbeat bill. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, when Republicans get in power, they start going after taxes. They start going after health care. They start making sure they're protecting all these gun rights. And abortion is never there until the Democrats now have Congress, and they can't get anything done, but they can get some votes. And maybe that's super cynical, but it's really frustrating. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and in fairness, maybe because you have these efforts being made at the state level, that it's, you know, probably that it might be more prudent to, you know, to focus on these other priorities. So it's not like nothing is getting done. Um, you know, the fact that you do have, you know, states that are stepping up to the plate and, you know, and working to preserve life. Because at the national level, the I mean, the only the the main thing is overturning Roe v. Wade. You know, that's I'm I'm sorry, I don't know like what fantasy world that we live in. You know, that that takes some time. 
It takes some effort. And, it, and, it, and I think probably takes cases that kind of, you know, um, uh, go through the whole process from a local level to the state level to the Supreme Court. Um, so, uh, it, again, I'm speculating. Um, but I think that the... I think that the the motivation is there. Let's let's put it that way. I, I get that. I think it, it is difficult. It is difficult from from my side of the aisle to to reconcile pro life rhetoric, which with, with what looks like pro life in action. Um, and, and I say this as somebody who you know I'm my wife is on the front line of this issue. She works at a crisis pregnancy center. She's she's working with women every day, counseling them and encouraging them to choose life and not abortion. Right. So this is not theoretical for my family. Um, but, you know, when when you see um, a, a budget come through in 20 for 2020 and Planned Parenthood is being um, funded at, at basically the same levels as they were under President Obama. I'm sorry. I, I really struggle it's with that. It's discouraging. It is. discouraging. It's disappointing. And it makes me say, listen, if you're right, overturning Roe v. Wade does take time, but there's other things we can do. There's other work that can be done. And um, and so I look at this and I say, okay, what are all the issues around life? It's not just abortion. It's all these other things. Um, and what do I think is the best thing to to provide aid and comfort what's the best thing to promote life what's the best thing to um to make sure that we are getting in the way of the destruction of life and i also look at other issues and say well then healthcare becomes a, a life issue for me and some form of universal healthcare becomes important to me um now i'm not saying that's the only way to 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 be pro life but that's that becomes a part of my political calculation and then i have to choose well who where where am i going to lean politically um, it, it makes me much more comfortable with, with forms of gun control, not a gun ban. And really there are very few people who want a full blown gun ban. Most people are somewhere on a spectrum of gun control. Um, I have serious questions, for example, about, um, the death penalty, especially in the United States. And when it gets to racial disparities and all kinds of stuff like that and, and economic disparities, it brings up economic issues, um, because the poorer you are, ordinarily the sicker you are and the, the shorter your lifespan. And so if we're to be against the destruction of life, um, we have to ask some economic questions. And I'm going to come to um, conclusions that are maybe more progressive than my conservative brothers and sisters, but I'm thinking through the grid of life. Um, and, and I think my conservative brothers and sisters are too. I think we're just coming to different conclusions on that. Right. And, you know, and I'll be honest with you, just like you have that rub for, um, you know, where the Democratic Party is with abortion, but you look at all of these other issues. And so that rub for me right now is what's going on with immigration. Um, you know, I'm not in favor of universal health care um, for, for a variety of reasons. Um but if we are to look at a Christian lens, I'm, and I'm not in favor, I'm definitely not in favor of open borders. I am in favor of protecting our borders. Um, but when you look at what, um, you know, the, the, the policies that are made in terms of humanitarian efforts, right? So when we talk about 
refugees, what's going on with the refugee policy, the fact that right now we are at like a historic low level of um, accepting refugees. And if people under ha- had even a glimpse of where refugee refugees are coming from, they're they're not just coming to America through some you know illegal um, chain because they want a better life. You know, these are folks who have, are, are coming from war-torn countries who are, um, who mainly whose lives are, are endangered if they remain in their country. They're ousted from their country. Many of them come from refugee camps. Um, and so the, the policies that this administration is implementing, um, to me, it is, it's contradictory to what I see here in the Sixth Commandment. The Im- immigration, I think, is a very complex issue, especially when you talk about what's going on in our southern border and the fact that, you know, we hear about the kids in cages. And I know we're going to do a whole episode on immigration. Well, one is it wasn't designed, those, those facilities weren't designed to hold the capacity that's you know, that's being held. So that's part of the problem. But the other part is when you hear, you know, when you hear stories about neglect, especially children, um, you know, and that makes me question. That's where I find the rub. Yes, let's protect borders. Yes, let's crack down on illegal immigration. Um, but, but, but also let's maintain humanity. Let's maintain dignity. When it comes to our prison system, you know, we're not going to say, well, because you broke the law, you therefore are less than a human and you get to and and we're going to treat you in the old kind of way. Um, There has to be a preservation of humanity. And that's what where I see is lacking in this administration. So whereas I say, yes, I am going to vote in a way that promotes the um the preservation of life that when i look at what's happening in the area of refugee policy in the area of immigration that's you know that's where my rub comes in well and what's interesting is you're saying i'm going to vote in a way that is for the preservation of life i'm saying the exact same thing Hmm. i'm just voting in a different direction um, I'm going to vote in in a way that is for the preservation of life because I believe that the parties that the, that the policies of the left do that, just like you believe that the policies of the right do that. And so we we have the same core value. It just works out differently based on the way that we see the issues. and And that becomes, okay, what is a better way to preserve life? Universal health care or private health care? What's a better way to preserve life? Making sure that we have a um, strong capital punishment system or we get rid of capital punishment. This, these become now debates on how we accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, which is the preservation of life. Um, and so we're both trying to do the same thing and we're getting to different places. And that that's why the charge that Christians who vote for Democrats don't care about life is absolutely absurd to me. We do. We're voting the way that we do because we believe in it, just like Republicans are voting the way they do because they believe in it. We simply have different paths to the same goal. And listen, I, I am I am not somebody who will say I'll never vote for a Republican. Uh, sure, if, if I believe that a Republican is going to be a, um, a better president 
For example, in just presidential election, if I believe the Republican candidate is going to be a better president than a Democratic um, candidate, I'm going to vote for the Republican, um, which makes my Democrat friends, I'm sure, absolutely <laughs> scream right now into their phones. But I think what's important is we, we have to... We have to get away from this idea that Christians who vote Democrat are somehow pro, immediately pro-choice, that they immediately don't care about abortion. We do. Some of us are fighting this on the ground. And it's the same charge. I can't look at somebody who is a Republican and say, you don't care about poverty, especially when there are Republicans doing anti-poverty work. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm a Democrat. Absolutely. And, and uh, I'm kind of out in my wife. But my wife's a Democrat who does anti-abortion work for a living. <laughs> and so this is who we are. We just vote differently and that we need to be more charitable in that. Right. I, I agree. So listen, we're going to talk more about abortion next week. Um, we're already at like almost 40 minutes in this conversation um, because there's a lot that, and, and, and I do need to explain myself about why I vote the way I do and when, when the party especially is sprinting left on this issue. Um, please know that those of us who are pro-life Democrats are screaming about the way this party has moved. Um, if you go to the Democrat for Life Facebook page, what you find is article after article after article denouncing certain candidates for the way that they have shifted and for their unwillingness to include us in the conversation. Um, and, and it is frustrating and it is painful. Um, but just like there are Republicans who are trying to see change happen in the Republican Party, there are Democrats trying to see change in the Democratic Party. And uh, we're probably not being as successful as we want to be, but we're trying. We're trying. Um, next week, we get into more um, more conversation. I, I mentioned my wife. We're going to interview her because she does um, work at a crisis pregnancy center. And, and we're going to ask her, how can churches more effectively fight back against abortion? Because in the end, that's what we want. We want the end of abortion, all of yes. us. Mm -hmm. um, and she, she's gonna, she's on the ground. She has these conversations. Um, to give you a little snippet, there's a, there's a quote that she uses that a, a lot of the crisis pregnancy folks use. Um, that with a crisis pregnancy, you don't end the pregnancy; you end the crisis. And that gets into a lot of this. How are we ending the crisis for women? How are we treating women as women and not as potential murderers? Um, like, how are we getting into this in a way that's going to actually get rid of abortion in this country? So um, I'm looking forward to that because I love my wife. Me but... too. Me too. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, Lisa, anything else that you want to add before we go? No, I, I, I think uh, I'm just looking forward to next week. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. You can send all your angry emails um, to who do we send them to this week? We have to pick, uh, we, we should pick a celebrity pastor and just randomly say, hey, send all your angry emails to that celebrity pastor. And you'll be like, what? What just happened? Why What's are they going on? We what did I say? Under the bus. <laughs> oh, no. Poor guy. He, he gets trounced. I think he gets a share anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Send them to Hillsong, New York. That's that. Just send all your angry emails to Hillsong, New York, and then get it off my back. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening charitably. Um, and and I hope to have you back again next week. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. 
there you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.